Welcome to session six of Boundaries. This session is on boundary injuries, what goes wrong. This is Susan Swart, and this series is based on the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. The last session, we talked about how boundaries are developed, and in this session, we're going to talk about uh, boundary injuries and what goes wrong. So between these two sessions, it's really talking about chapter four from the boundaries book. Boundary problems. Last time, like I said, we've talked about how boundaries are formed. The if they were if if every if the world was perfect, then that's how boundaries are formed. The world is not perfect, and so with all of us, we're going to have some boundary problems, and those are rooted in thousands of encounters with others plus our own nature and our own personality. Um, you can, you know, in one family, you can have different people with, uh, you're going to see some uh, similarities because there's the same genetics at play, but you're also going to see some differences because those children, different personalities, different nature, different birth order, that can all come into play in all of that. So we're going to look at eight possibilities that, and, and there are others, but th- we're going to have talk about these eight, that can come into play and cause injuries in our the way we set boundaries and how we deal with people. So the first one is withdrawal from boundaries. From the book, page 76, it says, I don't know why it happens, but it happens, mused Ingrid over coffee with her friend. Every time I disagree with my mother, even on little things, I feel this terrible sense that she's not there anymore. It's like she's hurt and withdrawn and I can't get her back. It's really a horrible feeling to think you've lost someone you love. So what might be going on in this situation? It's possible that her mom is literally withdrawing from her. And what this can say to the child or how this can be interpreted, and maybe the, maybe the parent means it uh, and is, an inten- is intentional about it. Other times they might not realize they're doing it. But the child is going to interpret that in a certain way. And it basically equates to the child as when you're bad, I will withdraw from you. When you are good, I will stay connected to you. So on Boundaries, page 77, it says, When parents detach from a misbehaving young child instead of staying connected and dealing with the problem, God's constant love is misrepresented. When parents pull away in hurt, disappointment, or passive rage, they are sending this message to your youngster or to their youngster. You are lovable when you behave, and you are not lovable when you don't behave. Can you see how that that type of thing really, really impacts our view of God? Because we feel like if our parent, if our earthly parent, if I misbehave and my parent withdraws from me, God must behave in the same way. And so we have a really distorted view of God's love based on experiences we have had or possibly had as we were growing up. And you've got to remember our deepest need is to belong, to be in relationship, and to have a spiritual and emotional home. So parents who pull away from their child are, in essence, practicing spiritual and emotional blackmail. I know that's a really harsh statement or way to put it, but that's really kind of what's going on is it's blackmail. It's like, I'm going to manipulate you into behaving the way I want you to behave. And if you don't behave, then I'm going to pull away from you. 
So on page 77, it says children whose parents withdraw when they, the child, start setting limits, learn to accentuate and develop their compliant, loving, sensitive parts. At the same time, they learn to fear, distrust, and hate their aggressive, truth-telling, and separate parts. If someone they love pulls away when they are angry, cantankerous, or experimental during that practicing, practicing stage we talked about last time, children learn to hide these parts of themselves. So our, our authentic part, we really kind of learn to hide because if it's like, well, if my authentic self, if my true feelings are met with that kind of pulling away uh, or separate, you know, separation, then I'm just not, I'm going to hide that part. I'm not going to be authentic because it, it impacts my relationship with the other person. The author goes on to say, parents who tell their children, it hurts me when you are angry, make the child responsible for the emotional health of the parent. In effect, the child has just been made the parent of the parent, sometimes at two or three years old. And it's far, far better to say, I know you're angry, but you still can't have that toy. This is always an interesting time whenever I get, when I talk about this, when I'm teaching this in classes, because it's like people have said those things having no clue how that is coming across when we try to make someone else responsible for how we feel or when someone tries to make us responsible for how they feel because we really we have to remember we have to be responsible for our own feelings so the adult if you know, rather than making the the statement you know, in the uh, trying to make the other person own your feelings and just saying, I know you're angry, but you still can't have that toy. That doesn't have any emotions involved with it. So the adult, if the, if the adult is feeling frustrated or angry, they can take those feelings to God. They can take those feelings to a friend, but don't make the child responsible for those things. Because by nature, children are omnipotent. And that, here's what that means. They think they're powerful enough to make things happen. If the sun's shining, I must have been good. And if it's raining, I must have been bad. And if mom and dad are okay, I must have been good. And if mom and dad are not okay, then I must have been bad. Okay, let me give you a personal experience on this one. I divorced, um, I went through a divorce. Uh, my first husband and I divorced when our oldest son was two and a half and I was pregnant with my daughter. When my oldest son was about four, we are in the car. He and uh, my daughter and I are in the car driving down, and I'm driving down the road. They're in the back seat. And out of the blue, he goes, Mom, did I have anything to do with you and Dad divorcing? And I was like, it caught me off guard. I was aware of that concept. I knew that children felt that, can feel that way. And I was like, oh, no, sweetie. You know, you, you had nothing at all to do with it. But here's how smart a child can be. Number one, he was already thinking that it might have had something to do with him. When I told him it didn't, he then in about 30 seconds, he goes, well, did it have something to do with Sarah? You know, she came about that time. He's four. He was putting those pieces together and thinking, mom and dad divorced. It must have had something to do with me. Okay, mom says it didn't have anything to do with me. Well, then it must have had something to do with my sister. And I was just like, oh, no, sweetie, it had nothing to do with you. So I speak from personal experience. I have seen that one play out. Sometimes we can have a um, situation 
where a person, when we communicate, it's not just our, the words that we say, it's our voice inflection, it's our eyes, it's our body language, it's our hands, it's our stance. So we communicate as a whole body. So sometimes a parent can withdraw or we sense that withdrawal through a hurt tone of their voice, a long silence for no reason, or it could be overt. It could be they're crying. Oh my goodness, I've made mom and or dad, well, not dad usually, but I've made mom cry. I've made mom sick or I've made dad sick. I've heard of those kinds of situations where children were don't don't do anything because your dad's not feeling well and it could give him a heart attack. I have literally heard that. Or there might be yelling in the family. So children of parents like these grow up to be adults who are terrified that setting boundaries will cause severe isolation and abandonment. You've got to remember our main goal in life is to be connected and to have a relationship with people. We have to have that. So if we're afraid of that, if we're afraid of losing people, then we're not going to set healthy boundaries. So if you grew up in this kind of situation, if your parent withdrew and the parent was, let me, let me just speak to this. The parent was dealing with their own stuff. It wasn't you. Same for us as we're raising our own children. If we're doing this to our kids, it's because we're dealing with stuff. It's our own anxiety, our own frustration, our own feelings. And so we have to be careful and not have our children, have our, try to make our children own our stuff. I had a, I grew up with a situation. Um, my brother teased me a lot and I had interpreted that in my growing up years as something must be wrong with me. And so here I am an adult in, in my twenties at the time learning about boundaries and all of those, and someone helped reframe that. God gave me a situation or a person that I was sharing this with, and they reframed it for me. And they said, okay, now, wait a minute. He is how much older than you? And so he was like the baby of the family for a certain number of years. And so then you entered the scene, and suddenly he had a baby sister who was getting all this attention, and yeah, he was probably jealous. And I'm thinking, what? I had never even thought of that, ever. I had always just assumed it was me, something was wrong, or it had been internalized. Must be me, something must be wrong with me. And so that had really impacted my self-esteem and and my what my value, you know? And so here all of a sudden I'm seeing it reframed, seeing it from a different perspective, and I, it was, I was able to let go of that and go, oh my goodness, he was jealous. It was him. It was his stuff. Really, God really used that to bring healing to my heart in life. Number two, okay, so number one was withdrawal. Number two is hostility against boundaries. So what are we meaning by that? So here's from Boundaries, page 78. Do I understand why I can't say no? Larry chuckled. Why don't you ask me a hard one? I grew up in the military, and my dad's word was law, and disagreeing was always rebellion. I contradicted him once when I was nine, and all I remember is waking up on the other side of the room with a, wa- a whopping headache and a lot of hurt feelings. So hostility toward boundaries is when the parent becomes angry at the child's attempt to separate from him or her. When that when that child is trying to have a separate opinion 
um, then, and the parent, parent just gets hostile, just gets anger, angry, angry, uh, maybe violent. And so then uh, hostility can emerge in angry words, physical punishment, or inappropriate consequences. And so then it's like we get scared of, of that differentiation of that separateness. So here's one thing that says, as parents, we sometimes say, you will do what I say. That is a fair statement. You will do what I say. As parents, we are given the responsibility over our children. And sometimes we need to say, you will do what I say, because we don't want them running out in the street or we want them behaving properly in public or whatever the situation might be a crisis situation. And they're like, what? And you're like, I just need you to do what I say. However, if we add onto that statement and you will like doing it, that's a really contradictory statement right there because the child knows that's confusing. I will do it, but I may not enjoy it. And so when, if we, if we were ever told, or if we have used those words, you know, you're going to do what I say and you're going to like it, then that is it's causing the, the child to deny who they really are. And it also turns, it starts to work that child into being a people pleaser and not a God pleaser. Galatians 1.10 says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So are we supposed to discipline our children? Yes, absolutely. And so what is discipline? We need to kind of define what discipline is. So discipline, on page 78 of Boundaries, is the art of teaching children self-control by using consequences. Irresponsible actions should cause discomfort that motivates us to become more responsible. The my way or else approach teaches children to pretend to be obedient. The you have a choice approach teaches children to be responsible for their own actions. So instead of saying you will make your bed or you will be grounded for a month, the parent would say you have choice. Make your bed and I'll let you play whatever it is they're wanting to do. But don't make your bed and you won't get to do whatever they're wanting to do. With that kind of scenario, the child gets to decide how much pain he or she is willing to endure to be disobedient. So that gives the child a choice and it lets the natural consequences play out. If you do want, if you do what I ask you to do, then you'll get to go do that. If you don't do what I've asked you to do, then you won't get to go do that. So question, does God discipline? Yes, God disciplines us. So in Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, it says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. Like I said, we all do the best job we know how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So whenever a child has grown up in that hostile type environment, they are basically learning how to avoid someone's wrath. Like I said, they become people pleasers. So does God manipulate us? No, God never manipulates us. He lets us have our free will. He also lets us live out the consequences of our behavior. He lets us, if we make good choices, we have good consequences. And if we make bad choices, then we have bad consequences. 
unless someone steps in to keep that from happening. And God usually wants us to experience that. He, so sometimes we, if we're stepping in to keep someone else from hurting, we maybe usually we're stepping into uh, God's way and the Holy Spirit. We're trying to play what I call junior Holy Spirit where we're trying to control the situation. And when we do that, it's really to make us feel better. It's keeping, it's, it's short-circuiting God's um, discipline f- with that person because it's not allowing them to live out the, the pain uh, or the, you know, whatever the consequences of their behavior. So does he discipline? Yes. Does he manipulate? No. First uh, John 1, 5 says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. I love this verse because whenever I talk about this verse, I always say, God is emotionally healthy. He's emotionally healthy enough to let us be mad at him and not change his boundaries. He'll let us be mad at him and go, okay, if you can be mad at me, but here's still my boundary. So on page 79 of Boundaries, it says hostility can create problems both in saying and hearing no, the word no. Some children become pliably enmeshed with others, but some react outwardly and become controlling people, just like the hostile parent. So the Bible addresses two distinct reactions to hostility in parents. We've got two verses here, Colossians 3.21 which says, fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit trying. Again, that was Colossians 3.21. The other is Ephesians 6.4. And now a word to you parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with the loving discipline the Lord himself approves with suggestions and godly advice. And again, that was Ephesians 6.4. Number three, okay, let's review. Number one was withdrawal. Number two is hostility against boundaries. And number three is over-control. Over-control occurs when otherwise loving parents try to protect their children from making mistakes by having rules and limits that are too strict. So that's over-control. Um What happens, let's think about this for a minute. What happens when we have seen, we may have been that person, we may have been that child, uh, or we've at least seen it. When a child gets to the point where they're going to college or moving out of mom and dad's home, when they've graduated from high school, whatever, what happens when they have that freedom? If they've been raised in an over-controlled environment, there's gonna be two things usually. One, they might be very anxious they are so afraid of the world. It kind of depends on what their their own personality is. They, if they have a leaning toward anxiety, they might be very, very anxious. The other option is, we you know, we've all seen it. They go crazy. They're, they're like, oh, I'm my own boss, and I'm going to do what I want. And they do. And I have seen them flunk out of college because they're partying and they're not paying attention to their classes and they get to reap the consequences of their behavior. And you've got parents who are, if they've been over controlling parents are just going, Oh my gosh, what's going on? So yes, we've seen that happen. Page 80 says, uh, over controlled children are subject to dependency enmeshment conflicts and difficulty setting and keeping firm boundaries. So we watch that play out. Number four is lack of limits. From Boundaries, page 80, Eileen's side. 
Her husband, Bruce, was in his twice-a-week mode of throwing fits whenever she dropped the ball. This time, he was yelling about having to reschedule the night out with friends because Eileen had forgotten to call the babysitter for the kids until 4 o'clock that afternoon. She couldn't understand why Bruce got so wound up about such little things. She had had loving, overindulgent parents. They couldn't stand to make her do anything to discipline her with timeouts or consequences or spankings. Her folks thought that lots of love and lots of forgiveness would help her be the adult she needed to be. So whenever Eileen didn't pick up after herself, her mother would cover for her, and when she wrecked the family car three times, her dad got her her own car. And when she overdrew her checking account, her parents quietly put more money in it. I mean, after all, love is patient, right? Her parents would say. Eileen's parents' lack of limits on her hurt her character development. Though she was a loving wife, mother, and co-worker, worker, others were constantly frustrated at her undisciplined, careless way of living. It cost others a lot to be in relationship with her, yet she was so lovable that most of her friends didn't want to hurt her feelings by confronting her, so the problem remained unsolved. So the opposite uh, you've got uh, the hostile parent or you've got the over-controlling parent. They're, they're kind of opposites of each other. Uh, the adult with a lack of limits has trouble hearing others' boundaries and or needs. So what we saw here was her husband would make these, he would get frustrated with her because she didn't have the boundaries that were needed to be able to follow through with things that she was supposed to do. Number five is inconsistent limits. So number four was lack of limits. And number five is inconsistent limits. Inconsistent limits send mixed signals. If they're inconsistent, the child never knows for sure what they're going to get. Uh, what am I going to get when I get home from school today? Is it going to be this parent or that parent? Um, and it's the same person that they're talking about, but they just don't know what um, mood that person's going to be in because of these inconsistencies. So commentary from Boundaries, page 80, says alcoholic families often exhibit inconsistent limits as well as other families, but alcoholism is one. A parent may be loving and be in kind one day, but un unreasonably harsh the next day due, due to their drinking. Alcoholism causes massive boundary confusion in the children. Adult children of alcoholics never feel safe in relationships. They're always wanting for the other person, waiting, excuse me, for the other person to let them down or attack them unexpectedly. They keep their guard up constantly. Setting limits is traumatic for the adult child of an alcoholic. If they've experienced that, they can really have trouble setting limits or setting boundaries, healthy boundaries. Okay. So the first five boundary in injuries are character pa pattern problems. Um, they, uh, the next ones are going to be a little bit different. The number six is trauma. So we can have things happen to us that can cause boundary issues. And so a trauma is an intensely painful emotional experience rather than a character pattern. Emotional, physical, and sexual abuse are traumatic. Accidents and debilitating illnesses are traumatic. Severe losses, such as the death of a parent, divorce, or extreme financial hardship are also traumatic. So how can trauma impact a child? How does that impact a child? 
So on page 83, children who undergo trauma become unsure that they are safe and protected in the world, and they become frightened that they have no say-so in any danger that approaches them. Also on page 83, it says, Jerry had been physically abused by both of his parents for years. He had left home early, joined the Marines, and had several bad marriages. In therapy as an adult in his 30s, he began realizing why, under his tough exterior, he always longed for controlling women. He would fall madly in love with the fact that they could handle him. Then a pattern of compliance to the woman would emerge, and Jerry always ended, ended up on the losing end. One day in session, Jerry remembered his mother striking him across the face for some small infraction. He vividly remembered his vain attempts to protect himself, pleading, Please, Mom, I'm sorry. I will do anything you say. Please, Mom. When he promised unquestioning obedience, the hitting would stop. That memory tied in with his lack of power and self-control with his wives and girlfriends. So all of that was tying together. Their anger always terrified him, and he would instantly comply. Jerry's boundary development was seriously injured by his mother's abuse. So things from our childhood have set the stage for some things that as adults we are living out again because it's in our emotions, it's connecting to that experience as a child because we had that trauma there and, and healing, we haven't experienced the emotional and mental and spiritual healing that we need from that. So here is a promise that we have in Luke 4.18. Here's something Jesus said. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has chosen me to tell good news to the poor. He sent me to tell prisoners that they are free and to tell the blind that they can see again. He sent, sent me to free those who have been treated badly. So there's two more, last two. I'm going to try to finish this up here quickly. Number seven is our own character traits. We are born with certain qualities. From the womb, we might have been outgoing or we might have been shy. I was very, very shy as a child, very shy, like very shy. And that really had a bearing on how, in, in my boundary setting. I was a real people pleaser. I just wanted, I wanted my world to be okay and I was, I was gonna please people. So our own character, or you could be a very extrovert person. It doesn't matter. And just how, how we fell in the family, the birth order, that all plays into it too. Number eight is our own sinfulness. So our own sins can play into this uh, and be, can create boundary injuries. On page 84 of Boundaries, it says, We also contribute to our own boundary development problems by our own depravity. Depravity is what we inherited from Adam and Eve. It is our resistance to being creatures under God, our resistance to humility. It's a refusal to accept our position and a lust for being omnipotent and in charge, not needing anyone and not accountable to anyone. Our depravity enslaves us to the law of sin and death from which only Christ can save us. Thank you for joining me for session six on boundary injuries. In our next session, we're going to be talking about the 10 laws of boundaries.